welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to ICU. This is episode 44, Painting Hope with Operation Underground Railroad with Liz Lemon Swindle. The review for this week, C-A-P-E-A-R-T. Thank you. Five stars, it says. I've never listened to a podcast consistently until this one. This podcast helps me want to do and be better without feeling overwhelmed. Simple ideas and principles are given each episode to help you know how to better connect with all different kinds of people. I've found myself telling my husband about different episodes. I think about things I've heard throughout the day and get excited to listen more. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for leaving a review. And I'm very happy you're not feeling overwhelmed. That's good. That is definitely not the purpose of this podcast. If you can rate and subscribe to the podcast, I love to be able to share reviews and highlight different people in this community of the ICU podcast. Listeners, I want to try something new. If you have a question that you would like me to answer, will you go ahead and submit that to me via my website? Also, if you have a story of a time when you felt seen, when someone really saw you, had compassion for you, connected with you, or you observed that somewhere else, please send me the stories. I would love to share your questions, my answers, and your stories on here. I'm really excited about this new element of the podcast because I think it's going to help me get to know you guys better and get to know what kind of questions and issues you're having that hopefully we can address here on the podcast. Should be a good time. I want to preface something before this really important conversation you're about to listen to with Liz Lemon Swindle and I. I try to keep my podcast a safe place for all beliefs. Also, my Christian faith is so much a part of who I am. It's in my DNA. It's in my bones. And it's been so much a part of my healing journey. I've questioned my Christian faith a lot. I have looked at it from so many different angles. I've had it in my hands and I've turned it over and I've turned it around and I've looked at it and I've analyzed it and I've asked so many questions. It's a hard-earned faith that I have. I continue to work at and to question. Today, we are going to talk about God and we are going to talk about Jesus Christ, also called the Savior. Because the truth is, I personally do not know a way to bring hope to the horrific reality of child sex trafficking without them. So today, Liz Lemon Swindle and I are going to be speaking as Christians, as firm believers of Jesus Christ. Now, if you are not Christian, please know that this episode here, it is not about organized religion. This episode is about rescuing children from sex trafficking. You don't need to be Christian to understand the gravity of this reality and to look up at night and ask in the sky out there somewhere, what can I possibly do? Keep that as a prayer or as a mantra in your heart and in your mind as you listen today, and hopefully you'll be inspired as to what you can do, no matter your faith, no matter your religion. Let's go ahead and turn over to the interview. We are here with the lovely Liz Lemon Swindle. Hi, Liz. Hi. I'm going to begin by reading your bio. This says, Liz Lemon Swindle began her painting career in first grade. Her first exhibitions were on the refrigerator, encouraged by her father. In the early 1980s, she tutored under renowned wildlife artist Nancy Glazier. In 1992, Liz began painting a subject matter she had long desired to approach, her faith. Her paintings are now held in corporate and private collections around the world and have been published in countless magazines and books. Liz and her husband, John, have five children and 19 grandchildren. Is that all true? That's all true. It's nice to be here. 
we're here in your studio and there's all this lovely, beautiful art around and that's what you are most known for probably to the public is all your gorgeous art. You have been getting involved in a project called Mothers Without Borders. My first affiliation with Mothers was in 2005. They had approached me to go to Africa to create a painting that would enable them to teach the children in Africa about Christ and how Christ loves them. The country is in such turmoil over the corruption in government, but also the disease. They were just ravaged, and parents were dying from AIDS and tuberculosis, and this nation is being left with children raising children or grandmothers raising children. But as noble as that sounds when they brought that to me, I just thought, that's not for me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to Africa. I have no desire to go to Africa, mostly because I didn't know enough about AIDS that I could go and feel comfortable that I'd be safe. And I had no desire to learn about it. I figured that's somebody else's problem. That was in 2005. And then they approached me again a year later. They had asked if I would reconsider to go. And I'm not exactly sure why I said yes. I think mostly because I just really wanted them off my back. And I was just more of an appeasement. And I thought somewhere in this next year, I'll just figure some really grand excuse like I have, I don't know, measles or something. <laughs> I couldn't possibly go. I just tentatively said, well, uh, yeah, maybe. I'll check with my savior model, see what he's got going. I think they approached me early spring and they wanted to leave a couple of months after some training things to go. After they left, I got on the phone and I talked with my savior model and asked him if he would want to go to Africa because in my wildest dreams, I was absolutely certain he would say, are you kidding? No, I don't want to go to Africa. I asked him and he said, I would love to go to Africa. Can I take my two sons? And I'm just going, how am I going to get out of this? <laughs> You're supposed to say no. <laughs> and I said, wow, that's just great. We hadn't filmed for about three months, I think, at that point. So I said, so... Tell me how long your hair is now, because I thought at least I can use the excuse, well, you got to grow your hair out, and that should take five years or something. But he said, well, I just barely cut it. It's missionary cut now. And I'm going, that's just too bad. We'll have to wait a year. And I says, how long do you think it'll take you to grow it past shoulder length? And he says, it'll take about a year. And I thought, this is great. Yeah. You know, I'm out of this. Didn't work that way. A year later, I'm on a plane with Philip. We're headed to Africa. This is Philip, your model. Philip Minor, yes. His hair's grown out, and he's excited, and his two sons are with us, and my crew, and I'm just thinking, what have I got myself into? <laughs> I don't even camp. <laughs> We're going to Africa. And so I thought, oh, this, I'm going to die in Africa. This is where my life will end. Well, I don't think there's a lot of glamping in Africa, is my understanding, <laughs> at least, right? I'm sure there isn't any. <laughs> So we get into the airport in Lusaka at midnight. The smells were just about putting me out. Combination of culture, the cooking, the no soap, that kind of a thing. And I'm just thinking, how am I going to last here for a month in Africa? Even with all the commitment I'd made, my thought was, okay, I'm going to get the shot. We'll get in a couple of days and I'm on a plane out of here. But <laughs> it didn't work that way. And I should preface this just a little bit. When I did the painting, Let the Children Come, in America, we shot that in Bluffdale, Utah. And what I did was ask about 10 kids from my neighborhood to come and do this photo shoot with me. I didn't tell them what it was for, what they were going to be doing, only that we were going to put them in biblical costume. And then I brought my savior model and two apostles dressed up. And what my plan was is to have them meet on the crest of a hill 
And I wanted to get that true moment, that perfect moment when reality hasn't set in yet, when you haven't got logic, and you just react, purely react. So I wanted to see what these kids would do if they actually saw Jesus coming up over the hill. Having shot that, and it was perfect, the kids were all over him, it was such a wonderful shoot. I assumed that Africa would be the same way, that we'd be in Africa, there were no hills, but I had him walk down this lane. We were on what they called the farm, but it was an orphanage. So he's about 100 feet away, and I have him walk down, and then this group of about 25 kids, all orphans are all at the farm. And and what I want is to get that true moment when they see him. They didn't know he was going to be there. No, they didn't know. We let him off on the bus and then I went and prepared the kids for it. So I thought, okay, we're going to get this. They're going to see him and they're going to all cry. We're going to get this great picture. They're going to see Jesus loves him and we're all going to go home and I'm on the next flight. But what happened was he walked down the lane and Philip had never done this before. And he's not an actor, he's very shy. I just figured this is gonna be all really pretty good, but then you always worry, what if he can't pull this off? He comes walking down the lane and these kids see him and their initial reaction is to run up to meet him, but then they all sort of collectively stop on this lane. And you just look at these kids and they're like crying. I mean, they've got tears going down their face and you're going, what have I done here? The translators there were telling us that what they were saying amongst themselves was they really thought this was Jesus and he was going to come and take them. And so we're just sitting there going, oh my goodness. And it was such a, such a stark contrast for what America was. Maybe about 10 minutes of him coming up and just sort of walking amongst them and just softly talking to them. Then they started to warm up. And one little girl, Carol Zulu, she was, I think, 13 at the time. She put her arms around him and just hugged him and just started crying. And she started singing to him and then they all started singing. And it was such an amazing transformation of what I had really anticipated this would go like. It's sort of like the Grinch that stole Christmas where I felt like my heart had been pricked. It was just a... Your heart grew to three yeah. sizes that day. It did, but not still not enough. We got some great footage of it. And sadly, Carol Zulu passed away, I think about two years later. You know, we knew she was very sick. She had HIV, and so we were concerned about it. That was our first Sunday there. And then on Monday, we had scheduled to do our first actual shoot where I would actually direct a shoot so I could get exactly what I wanted on the piece. And one of the things that happened the day prior is this little boy, Kennedy, he was so tiny. He looked like the size of a three-year-old. I think they found later that he was like five because there's no records there. You can't find records for these kids for a lot of them. So this little Kennedy, somehow he gets brave enough and attaches himself to Philip. And so Philip picks him up that first day and Kennedy doesn't want to be put down. And what he's saying to Philip all the time is, have you seen my mom, my dad? my mother, my father, because they both died. It's pretty emotional for everybody as they're telling us what he's trying to say. The following day, the minute that Philip showed up on the farm, then Kennedy was right in his arms. What we didn't realize is that Philip was quite sick that day. I was worried it was dehydration. He didn't want Philip to put him down. So for four hours, Philip is carrying little Kennedy 
size of a three-year-old around and not putting him down and getting more and more exhausted. I can see there's a strain for Philip because he's not feeling well and he's trying to be really in the moment. I'm right back to where I was before thinking, ah, this is so arduous. Ugh, how do I do this? And I remember almost the very moment, I remember just saying this prayer. It just didn't feel like it was going anywhere and we were walking back and forth and trying to catch that moment. And I remember saying this prayer and saying, Heavenly Father, why, why am I here? This is so not what I do. I'm busy at home painting Jesus. I don't want to come to Africa. I don't have the heart for this, and I don't have the desire for this. Please just let me get the shot. Please just let me go home. I don't know how I'll live here for the next month. And it was such an unwilling and such a proud attitude for somebody that should have been on the Lord's errand. Almost at that exact moment, Kennedy, he was against Philip's chest, and Philip was looking straight ahead. So Kennedy turns, and he looks like he's looking at me, but he's not. It's like he's looking through me. As I'm trying to pray, please help, this overwhelming thought or impression just envelops me. <laughs> there is nothing that will cure Africa. There is nothing that's going to fix everything that's wrong here, except for the Savior. And they can throw money at this country, they can do all kinds of humanitarian things, but nothing's going to help them until they find the Savior. And so many people in Africa, they're a very Christian country, but like any other countries, things are sort of running off the rails here and there. I just knew why I was there. This was the piece that Mothers Without Borders had requested to show the pure love of Christ for these people. But it wasn't just for Africa, this was for the world. And we're in a world where the Savior is, he's no longer relevant. People have no need for him. You know, they've kicked him out of our schools. They've kicked him out of our governments. They've kicked him out of everywhere. We're just floundering out there without him. And I just really had such a sense of the clarity of that moment and what I'd been sent there to do. And I made it through the other three weeks. <laughs> and actually did enjoy myself to most degrees. Yeah. Yeah. It changed me, though. The whole part of my life that I had kept so guarded and away and detached just let me do my art. It was like, again, the Grinch, where it took a hold of my heart and just changed it. It changed me into a different person with a different perspective and, and far more honorable goals than what I had had prior to that. Because I started painting the Savior in 2001. And so for seven years, I really felt like I was on a good path. I really felt like I was doing what I should be doing. I was, but I was missing so much of it. I was only getting sort of crumbs when I could have been really sitting at the table eating the supper. It really woke me up. We talk on this podcast a lot with different people's perspectives, how when you truly see someone with compassion and you connect with them, it's like going from looking at the world in black and white and all of a sudden you see it in color, in like yeah. high definition. It's a completely different life you're living. And yeah. I, I hear that in what you're saying. Now you are beginning to work with Operation Underground Railroad. Right. There was a young lady that had been working at our company and she had brought a video. I think it's when they had decided to do the film on the Underground Railroad, the people that had started it they had brought in Jim Cavizio. Do, I love uh, him. I just have to say I love him. You know there were some people that were just made to come to earth to be beautiful and he was one Did of those. Did you love him? Okay for yeah. a second the look on your face I was worried you were about to no, no, no. tell me that Santa's not real. I love him. I love the interviews by him about Passion of the Christ. I 
love him. Not to get sidetracked, but the same reason. I've listened to things about him. I mean, I haven't immersed myself, but I've just run across them occasionally on YouTube. And his love and respect for family and for his wife, and I understand they've adopted children. And that he also spends a great deal of his time going to Catholic youth camps, mm-hmm. you know, to teach of Christ, which is so incredible. I spoke at a Catholic youth camp in Wisconsin years ago, and those kids are amazing. They really are something. I was a, a fan, I guess if you could say I'm a fan of that, but I was really impressed the fact that he had decided to come and do this, to play the role of this gentleman, Mr. Ballard. She showed me this video, and she said to me, you need to be involved in this. And my first reaction was almost exactly like it was with Africa at first, but I caught it within seconds and thought, I am supposed to be involved in this. I have no idea how, though. I'm not a fundraiser. What exactly am I going to be doing? I'm not going to be part of their jump team that's going to go rescue these kids. (laughs) Obviously, I'm old. And so (laughs) what exactly are they going to have me do? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. she said, you need to be painting these kids that are getting rescued. And it hit me. The spirit just washed over me. I thought, of course, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. She set it up so that I could actually meet someone from the group of Underground Railroad. And so I met Jessica Mass. I was so impressed with this woman. She's that kind of person that we all want to be as women. She's fearless and she's feminine and she's spunky and she's tender and she's Christ-like. And I was so impressed with her that she was the reason I wanted to stay on this project. Because a lot of the time when you they present you with something, you kind of check it out and you go, maybe that's not for me or this right. would be better suited for somebody else. It was her that sold me on this project just because of her fearlessness. She's going in and rescuing these kids. I think she's over aftercare for all of this project. When I met with her, I said, I really want to do these paintings of these kids. I really want to do something in a painting form that raises funds for your organization because something like this can't be cheap. This has got to be a lot of money that you put these teams together and you go all over the world to collect these children and save them. So this can't be cheap. And so it's not like you're going to reach a point where we don't need any more money. At least with my name and maybe my skills, I can contribute in some way. So that's really what brought me into it. And shortly after that, which is what was interesting, there was a, an article come out and it was on Tim Ballard. And it talked about his whole journey from Homeland Security and how he formed Underground Railroad and how his heart was so invested in these children. This is something noble and honorable I want to be part of this. I just said, you know, whatever I can do, we'll raise funding, the proceeds, whatever we raise can go to this organization. We'll do something. If people aren't familiar with what Operation Underground Railroad is, it's an organization, a movement rescuing humans from trafficking. It's primarily children that are being taken. Either they're being kidnapped or they're being sold by family members. There's a hundred different ways that you can get a hold of these children. And we had had something like that, which I won't go into detail, where I had a granddaughter that was nearly taken. She was only six at the time, and she could have easily ended up with one of these sad, tragic stories. It's to go in and rescue these children that are being trafficked. Obviously, it's for sex trafficking. What exactly are you doing with them to help bring hope? You're going to paint the children? Yes, they wanted me to go to Dominican Republic, but I was diagnosed with RA 
about 12 years ago. I can't be very close to anywhere where there's tuberculosis. So it's good that I went to Africa when I did because tuberculosis is one of those diseases that takes lives. They have to be really careful where I can go. So they're trying to put a group together around where I can go. And so the safest places they've determined is Guatemala and possibly Peru. And I'm excited to go, but just hearing some of the stories of what we'll be facing there, What I'll be doing is taking my savior model with me. I'll be doing two things. I'll be doing just pictures of these children alone, but I also want to get these children based on what I felt in Africa, that he is the hope. You can't remove him from the equation. I know that they posted a piece of mine on my social media a couple weeks ago, and I took some real bullets over it, that it was contrived, that it was misleading to those children to let them think there was a Christ, which is so very sad in my estimation because... I've already had the witness of it. I already know how this thing plays out. The kids that have been rescued, the ones that have gone through this transformation now and have been given hope, I want to put the Savior in the middle of that. I also want to get the spirit of these children singly and collectively as well. We've talked tentatively about being able to present these paintings at a time when they do their gala, which would only give me about a year to get these produced from the time that we go in the fall. Do you have a number of paintings you're trying to produce? What I would like to produce for them would be between six and eight paintings. Is that a lot in a year? That's a lot in a year where I have other things in my schedule. That's a real pie in the sky, but hopefully I can do it. If I don't sleep, I should be able to pull it off. (laughs) You'll be fine. (laughs) That experience really touched me with the little boy thinking it was the savior that he was here to come save him. So many of us hear these stories and we think, what in the world can we possibly do? It's overwhelming. We feel the compassion. What do we do with that? Inform yourself. Learn about these organizations that actually are legit organizations going into these countries where this is prevalent. Determine what you're able to give. Heavenly Father doesn't ask us to run faster than we can run. Even if all you can give is $5, find an organization, whether it's Underground Railroad or Mothers Without Borders. There's so many out there. But do your homework. Find if they're legitimate. Find out where the money's going, what they're doing with it. I know with Mothers Without Borders, the money is handled very well, and they've built an entire community there for these orphans. And the same with the Underground Railroad. I would just encourage people to get involved. It's like anything right now in the world. We've passed that point where we can just sit by and wait for someone else to do it. This is somebody else's problem, so I'm not going to get involved in it. We have a responsibility because we share this planet to get in there and do whatever it is we can do to help. The oppositions are so strong right now for good and evil. There's nobody can let down on this side of good or we're gonna be overtaken. Whatever you're good at, if what you're good at is writing letters of encouragement, and as simple as it sounds, put these people in your prayers. When these teams go in to rescue these kids, their lives are in danger. They're coming up some really awful creatures on the other side that would just as soon kill them as look at them. Tim Ballard, from what my understanding of it is, when he goes into a country like that, this isn't like a walk in the park or Saturday afternoon, I gotta have something to do. He's in there rescuing lives. He's pulling kids out of these situations. Probably most of the time, he's going into some really dangerous things. And so are his jump teams. This is not an easy thing and it's all hands on deck, everybody. It's just time to step up. Well, and I think we can't be so overwhelmed by the magnitude of what needs to be done to not do anything, right? I think that's so powerful that you are using your skills. 
I talk to kids and adults a lot about having superpowers and gifts that we were born with. I think it's so incredible if we can hone in on what ours is. I think we'll be inspired to know how to use it in situations like this. Oh, absolutely. You're not here alone. You're entitled to personal inspiration. Look what you're doing. I mean, you have a voice here that reaches thousands, hundreds of thousands. I was hoping you'd say millions. Well, millions. (laughs) You have a much larger voice than I have. For you to put this on here, I don't care if one person hears this and that one person does something. It's better than 10 minutes ago before that one person heard this. Something new has happened. Something good and positive has happened. And I am a big believer in the power of prayer. Pray for these kids. Pray for the teens. You know, if you don't have the money, encourage the people that you know that do have it. Donate $10, $20, something. Keep this project going. Keep this foundation going. I don't think they're going to turn you away at the door. I don't care what your faith is or who your God is. I believe that all prayer and all faith in a higher purpose is powerful. This isn't about organized religion. This is about a love of Christ. I don't care what religion you are. You're not excluded because you might not be the right religion. We don't care. We're all in there. He came here for all of us. We have a responsibility to do his work. Wherever we're inspired to do it, Get on board and do it. Well, just like Jim Caviezel. Yeah. I'm sure I'm not the same religion as him, but it doesn't matter. Whenever we make organized religion a thing to isolate us from each other, I don't think that's how it was intended. No, not at all. If there's someone listening and they themselves have been a victim of trafficking or mistreatment, what would be your message to them? They're not alone. There are people out here who care, and there are more and more people waking up to this every day. We'll get there as quickly as we can. Part of the problem, I think at least for those living in our country, it's hard to believe that this is a reality in the world. Yes. We're so sheltered, especially living where I do in Utah. It's hard to imagine that this kind of evil exists. Yes. You're unaware that this is out there. I've thought about this so many times when I've been thinking in my mind, how do I compose these paintings that will reach in and grab somebody's heart? I think of my grandchildren, not just my granddaughters, my grandsons as well, because it's both. How would I feel if this were my family, that one of my grandchildren had gone missing? I may never see them again. They are dealing with something so horrendous and unthinkable. That is just almost too much to process and to take. Nobody's safe here. That's the whole thing. Your children can be taken from your car, from the grocery store. Not to be an alarmist, but we've got to wake up to the fact here that this is going on and it's going on in our communities. You don't have to go to New York City or Chicago or the worst parts of a bigger city or to a third world country. It's happening in these little bedroom communities all over our country. We've got to just stop wearing the proverbial rose-colored glasses like, this is somebody else's problem. This isn't going to happen in my life, so therefore I'm really not interested in it. It can happen to anybody. And I personally know people that it's happened to in this area we live in. It's horrific. I love and appreciate and want to say thank you for the way that you're using your talents to bring hope into a place where there has been so much darkness. Thank you for having me here in your studio and for participating on the podcast. You're more than welcome. It's been an honor. After this interview... The next day was my birthday and it was a little bit morbid, but my husband knows me well and is happy to do what I want on my birthday. I told him tonight what I really want to do, as weird as it sounds, is I want to go and I want to watch 
documentary on Operation Underground Railroad. Now, this documentary is with the real people who started Operation Underground Railroad. It's real footage. This isn't the film with Jim Caviezel that we talk about in the interview. It is on Amazon Prime. I don't know if it's other places. That's where I found it. I think you can find it through the Operation Underground Railroad website as well. I found myself completely immersing myself and learning more about this incredible organization after my interview with Liz. My husband and I, as we watched this documentary that night, there are just no words to describe the awful, horrific things and statistics that I heard, but also somehow light piercing through the darkness. I don't know how, but I know that somehow I need to get involved in this group as well and to help somehow. I would suggest to you that you also try and find what you're good at. And dude, if that superpower is making a crud load of money, maybe throw it at this organization. Whatever you need to do, do something. Do something because this is a reality for so many. If you would like to support this podcast and the message of ICU, you can go to my website, icupodcast.com and click on support the podcast. Next week, I'm going to be flying solo. It's just me and I've got all sorts of stuff I want to say. I can't wait to share my heart with you and to hear what you think. My name is Julie Lee and I see you.